Lord, we thank you for your presence, your power. And we thank you, Lord, for this time tonight. I pray that you would give us all good fertile soil for the work of the Holy Spirit and the Word of God. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts to understand. Lord, I pray that you would help us have spiritual vision, spiritual understanding, spiritual hearing, that your word will go out of, out of my mouth as living seeds of truth sown on a good fertile soil, watered by the Holy Spirit, that will take root, grow, and produce a hundredfold harvest of eternal fruit that remains. And I ask you, Holy Spirit, even now to help us get locked in and focused, to give you our best ear and our full attention, and to receive everything out of the word that we need to receive. We bind the enemy's influence away because the Bible says that, that Satan tries to come and steal the seed. But we bind the enemy's influence away from the Word of God and its fruitfulness in every life right now. And Lord, we ask you for your blessing and your grace on this to go forth. Because it doesn't return void. It'll go forth and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. And I bless everyone that's going to be hearing this to be good fertile soil and to receive everything God has for them. And Lord, I thank you for it now. I just feel the Lord just a moment here so. I feel the Lord saying that you're going to experience individual breakthroughs, but just like this image on this paper, there's going to be a breakthrough coming on the other side of this that has to do with that anti-Pentecostal spirit and the resistance that you've been facing in this region. First, the breakthrough will come in your individual life, but the next breakthrough will come against that anti-Pentecostal spirit that's trying to stop revival in this region. Well, Lord would say that that thing has been a hindrance, but there's about to be a breakthrough. You know, even before I was going to preach tonight, I felt a, a resistance, but it was interesting because the Lord put on my heart that it wasn't just the Word of God that I was going to be speaking on, but it was also declaring, I felt something about declaring a breakthrough. Like the enemy didn't want me declaring a breakthrough. And I'm like, what in the world? But it's interesting because just now, it's like God gave me a message in tongues interpretation. It's declaring a breakthrough is coming. Amen? But it is. I feel it. Okay. I want to get into this. This is not as much ground to cover at all as what it looks like. But I was just going, what I normally do, see, you've got what I've got. I normally condense what I give everybody to like more of an outline. But I felt the Lord tell me to give you guys what I've got. Because all the scriptures are there. I wanted you to be able to look at this and follow me. But how many knows God is the God of breakthrough? Listen, the Lord, you know, we think about God the Father. He's a loving Father. We think about Jesus as the Lamb of God. But he's also the Lion of the tribe of Judah. We think about the Holy Spirit, the Comforter, and the Counselor, and somebody with us. But, you know, God is also a military God. Whenever Jesus appeared to Joshua, he came as the captain of the host of the armies of God. And God is concerned about the battles that you face. He's a good God, and he cares about the battles you face. And the Lord will give you a breakthrough. And let me tell you something else. It's not an accident that somebody's hearing this. So if you're here you're watching this online, you get this somehow, you're listening to it on your iPod or whatever. It's not an accident that you've heard this because the hand of the Lord is on this and he's put this in your path for a reason. All right. When Jesus came, this is so important, 
And I'm, I've got about three things that I want to get to. The first thing is, is that you understand the, the Lord's character apart from the devil's character, and this is really important. And I sincerely pray that this gets in you and stays with you all the days of your life. Okay, number one, when Jesus, when he came, he said, when you see me, you see the Father. Now, Jesus was a loving Savior that went around doing good healing all oppressed of the devil, the Bible says. And when you look at the life of Jesus, he brought provision to those that were hungry or, or desperate. Okay, He brought provision. He brought healing to the sick and hurting. He brought deliverance to the captives. And that's what he did. He never once put something evil on somebody. He never once sinned against anybody or wronged anybody. So when you look at Jesus, you're, you see, he said, you see me, you see the Father. When you look at Jesus, you see the image of God. And it's so important that you get an understanding of this because Satan, more than anything, I believe, he wants people to have a distorted view of God. That God's some big combat boot in the sky that's just waiting for you to mess up so he can squish you like a bug. That's not God. God is the same God that you read about in the Garden of Eden that wanted to walk with man. Man was the one blew it. But look at what the Bible says. The thief comes. Jesus said this. There wasn't a lot of revelation about Satan until Jesus came. Jesus taught a lot about hell and a lot about the devil, if you, you, know, if you really look at it. But anyway, he said that the thief, which is the devil. Everybody say thief. The devil is the thief, and it says the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. The devil's also a liar. Jesus taught us that. But anyway, he said that Satan has come to steal, to kill, and destroy. Think about those three words. To steal from you things that belong to you. To kill and to destroy. But Jesus says here, John 10.10, But I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. That's what I really want to sink into your spirit right now because this whole message is predicated on the fact that you understand who God is and his character apart from the devil. And let me give you a story. Some of you have heard me tell this story and others haven't, but I was at CeCe's Pizza and we were eating with some friends or something. But anyway, on my way out, I felt the Lord tell me to talk to this guy, to witness to him. He's one of the managers. So I struck up a conversation like I do and I just started talking to him about Jesus. Anyway, he, he just... I could tell he just did not want to hear it. And so I just asked him, I said, man, do you have something against God? Are you, are you upset with God? Did he do something? You know, what's the deal? And he said, well, as a matter of fact, he said, I think that God just runs an ant farm. And I said, what do you mean by that? And he said, well, and then he told me this. He said that it was recent when I talked to him, it was like two weeks or something, but he said that his wife was in labor with their first child, and the child died, and then the wife died. Now, here's the thing. He was blaming God, okay? So I told him, I said, man, listen, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened, you know. But I said, first off, God is not a murderer, and he didn't kill your baby. He didn't kill your wife, okay? Secondly, I know that your wife and your little baby would not want you to go to hell over this. Amen? And thirdly, you need to quit blaming God for what the devil did. And when I told him that, I could see in his eyes like a light bulb went off that he had never even thought about that. He had never even entertained the thought that maybe it was the devil that killed his wife and baby. But Jesus said the thief comes to kill, 
that's not God. God's not a murderer. He's not stealing your money. Okay, he's not oppressing your life. That's not God. And you need to put the finger on the devil and realize, wait a second, that's the thief. Because as long as, as the devil can get you deluded and distorted in your view of God to where you think that God is the one that's doing these things, he can get you offended with God. And then pretty soon, if you're offended with God, you don't want to go to church, you don't want to pray, you don't want to spend time with somebody you don't like. You don't want to spend time with somebody you feel like did something to you. But you know, a lot of people, God does not need anybody's forgiveness. You know why? Because God's never done anything wrong. But a lot of people have a lot of resentment toward God because they blamed him for stuff he didn't do. And so there's this thing about, you know, forgiving God. He doesn't need your forgiveness, but you need to let some things go if you've blamed him for some stuff. And I promise you that the devil wants you blaming God for stuff that he's done. Now, how would you like to be in God's shoes? Think about this. Where you're getting blamed for all this evil stuff you had nothing to do with. Have you ever been blamed for something you didn't do and it really, really irritated you? And you knew you didn't do it, but that nobody else believed you? How do you think God feels every day? People are blaming him for stuff he didn't do. When God created the Garden of Eden, he created it perfect. There was no sickness there, there was no poverty. There was nothing, you know, there wasn't any problems. When he created the Garden of Eden, it was perfect. The reason he put a tree, one out of probably hundreds of thousands, one tree in the garden that they weren't supposed to eat was so that they could prove their love to him. You know, God doesn't want a robot and he doesn't want an arranged marriage. He wants you to always have a choice. If he, had ne if he never gave people a choice, then it would just be an arranged marriage. Think about it. You want your spouse to choose you not to be forced into a relationship. All right, now I said all that to say this. That's the reason why God has always given Adam and Eve and everybody else. He's always given us a choice, and he'll never violate your free will. You'll always have a choice to love him and serve him or reject him. But anyway, when God created everything, he created perfect, and he put a tree there so that they'd have a choice. And then Adam and Eve were the ones that sinned. And when they sinned, the Bible says it brought a curse on them, but it brought a curse on the human race and on the earth as we know it. So when sin entered the world, so did sickness. People's bodies started aging. That was never God's original plan. You know, the earth started being filled with violence and poverty, and wars began to break out. It was never God's original plan. He never wanted it. But because mankind sinned, then it's like, okay, now I'm going to have to go to plan B. And he brought his son into the world to redeem what was lost. Is everybody following me? Now, God could have gave up on the human race and said, you know what? What was I even thinking? He could have just threw it all away. He could have flooded the earth and took out Noah too. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Are you hearing what I'm saying? God demonstrated, the Bible says demonstrated, think about that word. He demonstrated his love for us by Christ dying for us while we were still sinners. So even though you didn't know the Lord and you were born in sin and you lived a sinful life, Christ had already died for you and he loved you enough to die for you. So this is the God we serve and it's, an, it's important that you understand that not only that, but, but when Christ comes back, 
he's not only interested in redeeming people from going to hell, but he's actually going to restore everything that was lost through Adam's sin. He's going to restore everything back in the earth. So the earth is going to go back to a place of a paradise where people don't age, they don't get sick, there's no more violence, there's no more criminal activity. You know what I'm saying? It's a peaceful place. It's the way God intended it to be. So God is, is interested in redeeming everything back. All right. Now, I said all that because of Proverbs 6.30. It says that people do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he's starving. Yet, if he's caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it cost him the wealth of his house. Who's the thief? The devil. Now, here's what I don't understand. A lot of Christians are not taught to use their authority. They're not taught the word of God. And so they live these lives like a whipped puppy where the enemy comes in and still kills and destroys. And they think, well, I guess God's mad at me. And they don't ever do anything about it. The Lord wants you to rise up and start taking authority over the enemy. Think about the scriptures. Jesus said, well, John said, greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world. Jesus said, I give you authority to tread upon snakes and scorpions, overcome all the power of the enemy, all. Nothing will harm you. So when the enemy comes in to steal, kill, and destroy, when he shows up, you need to be taking authority and driving him right back. But here's the thing. If the thief comes and if he does steal, you have the authority, based on the scripture, to command him to restore back sevenfold. That's just the word of God. But here's the thing. People don't even know that. This is a mighty weapon of war. There's been times where I had finances or something stolen from me, and I knew it was the devil. I knew it was the devil. And um, I lift up my voice and say, you know what? That's fine. You got away with that one for some reason. I don't know, but here's what's going to happen. You're going to give back sevenfold, and I did the math. I was like, okay, you took this much. You're going. This is seven times. You're going to put it back. And you know what? It happened. And it's happened more than once. And it's not just about money. It's about other things. Listen, the devil has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He's come to steal your children. He's come to steal your inheritance. There's a lot of things he's after. The only thing that the devil's interested in in his kingdom is just simply to steal, kill, and destroy. That's it. So when they show up, all they're interested in is bringing as much destruction as they can. But you as a Christian have authority to begin to do something about it. But here's the thing. You need faith, and faith comes by people preaching like you. That's what happens. You hear the word of God. The Bible says faith comes by hearing. You hear somebody preach like this, and you go, hey, wait a second. Why have I been putting up with this? I have authority over him. The Bible says he has to restore back sevenfold. What am I doing? And then you rise up in your authority, and you start seeing things change. By the end of this sermon, I'm, I'm hoping that your faith is, is off the charts, okay? gone because I want you to see what God has for you. So number one, that's the first thing I wanted to get real clear was that you understand God's character and the devil's character. Don't blame God anymore for bad. Bad things happen because of many reasons. You know, we make stupid decisions sometimes. And quit blaming God. We've all done it. We've all done something stupid and then we end up reaping the consequences of it and then we're like, God, why'd you let it happen? And the second thing is... Um, People, sinful people, sometimes are selfish and do things they shouldn't do that hurt, you know? 
And sometimes the devil just flat out attacks somebody and still, look, don't blame God for any of that. God didn't make you make a bad decision. God did, certainly didn't make other people do something stupid. And God didn't send the devil. Okay, the enemy, the Bible says, roams around like a roaring lion seeking who he may devour. The, that's just the way it is. All right. I feel that's really important that people get that. Because once the enemy gets you offended with God and upset, you feel like you're let down by God and all that stuff, it really hinders faith. And, and you know, if you ever hear somebody preaching on spiritual warfare and deliverance and they act like Satan's kingdom is stupid and they don't know anything and, and they're powerless, they've never been in spiritual warfare. So don't even listen to them. They don't know what they're talking about. I respect my adversary, but I know who I am in Christ, too. All right. Let's move on. So let me give you some promises of God, and I want you to start believing God for these things and believe him till they happen. You believe them till they happen. All right. Number one is, is God's promise for health. Now, there's things because of our own sin or because of the sins of our ancestors that have affected our lives, especially in health, you know, generational curses, stuff like that. Everybody faces this stuff, okay? But Jesus, it says in 1 Peter 2.24, he bore in his body your sin that you can die to sin and live unto righteousness. And by his stripes you were healed at the cross. So he paid for your healing. 3 John 2, here's the revelation of God. Okay. It said John prayed. He said, I pray that you be in health and you prosper as your soul prospers. Now think about that. This is the same man that taught us that whenever we, um, we pray according to God's will, we have whatever we've asked. This is the same man. Okay. And he prayed that we prosper and be in health as our soul prospers. So it's God's perfect will that you prosper and be in health. As your soul prospers. That's the scriptures. Number two, God's promise for deliverance. Galatians 3.13. That Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law. Now when you do a study, and I'll show you it later, but the curses under the law had to do with lack. It had to do with defeat, oppression, health problems, things like that. That's a curse under the law. It came because people were disobedient to the scriptures. But Christ has redeemed us from that. It says, I'm going to quote it, Christ has redeemed you from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for you. It's written, cursed is anyone who's hung on a tree. Redeeming you so the blessings given to Abraham come on you as a Gentile. So the will of God in Christ Jesus is that you have health and you're delivered from anything that you need deliverance from. That's God's perfect will for your life. Okay. The third thing I want to say is about household salvation. Acts 16.31, God is very much concerned about your household, and he's concerned about your children. This is a big deal. He's concerned about your family, and he's concerned about your children. And let me show you some things. Acts, Acts 16.31, this was whenever Paul and Silas, you remember the story where the jail had the earthquake and they got out? Okay. The jailer was about to kill himself. Listen to what they said. They said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. God wasn't just interested in him. He was interested in his household. 
God is not just interested in you. He's interested in your whole family. And listen, it goes on, Exodus 26. We know where it says that God will visit the sins of the fathers to a third and fourth generation, but look what it says in verse 6. But showing love to a thousand generations of those that love me keep my commandments. Now think about that for a moment. God said, okay, you know, there's, there's a curse. The sins of the father is a curse to third and fourth generation. But, that's just three and four generations, but I will show love to a thousand generations to those that love me and keep my commands. So God's heart is always blessing. It's always good. God wants to bless people so much, he said, if you'll just bring a cup of water in my name, I'll bless you. James 5.14, God makes a way in the local church. There really shouldn't be sickness in the church. It says, it's James 5.14, if anyone's sick among you, let him call on the elders of the church, and they will pray, they should pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the prayer that's offered in faith will save the one who's sick, and that's the word save there means he'll deliver the one who's sick, and the Lord will restore him if he's committing sins, they'll be forgiven, on and on. But this is God's heart. Verse 17, or go up above that, verse 16, confess your sins one to another, and pray for one another that you'll be healed and restored. I love this right here. The earnest, heartfelt, continued prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. Did everybody hear that? That should go all over you. Let me read it again. The earnest, heartfelt prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic, and it's working. Elijah was a human being in nature just as we are with feelings and affections and a constitution like ours and he prayed earnestly that it would not rain and no rain fell on the earth for three years and six months and then he prayed again that the heavens would rain and the heavens supplied rain and produced crops so God is concerned about your family now think about the scriptures let me let me go into this about your children God's concerned about your household he's concerned about your children. Did you know when the Apostle Paul had that shipwreck? That God was not just concerned with Paul. This is this is a neat story. Paul had a shipwreck. He told them. You know, he said, guys, he's a prisoner. He told him, he said, guys, you know, I'm just paraphrasing this, okay? I'm a man of God. I'm telling you, I have a bad feeling about this trip. It's just, it's some, this is what he told them. You read it for yourself. He's like, guys, listen, there's just something I just, this is not a good idea. We need to wait, okay? And they didn't listen to him. Uh, who's this little criminal telling me what to do, you know? And so they go off, you know, uh, sailing. And next thing you know, this storm hit, and it was so violent it destroyed the ship. But here's the thing. Paul, in the middle of the storm, they're, they're freaking out. They think their life's over. They're shark bait, you know? And so here they are. They're, they're all worried. And Paul told them, said, look, you should have listened to me. I'm sure that felt good coming out of his mouth, okay? You should, you should have listened to me. I told you. But he said, listen, he said, God has already showed me that he's going to spare not just me, but he's going to spare you as well. And the ship sunk, but every one of them survived. God wasn't just concerned with Paul, but he was concerned about everybody on the ship. As you know, when Jesus died, he's not just concerned with a handful of people. He really is concerned for the world. And he's, the Bible says he's come to seek and save the lost. And the Lord weeps even for people in the most remote parts of the world. They have never heard the gospel. All right, God's promise for our children, Deuteronomy 30, 19. 
This day I call heaven and earth as a witness against you, that I have set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Now choose life so that you and your children may live. The way you live affects your kids. But here's the thing. God is concerned not only for you but your kids. And watch this. In 2 Timothy 1.3, I thank God, Paul said this to Timothy, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did. With a clear conscience is not a day I continually remember you in my prayers, constantly remember you. Recalling your tears, I long to see you so that I may be filled with joy. And look at this. I am reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois, and then in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you, Timothy. This is generational blessing. You may have had you may have had a jacked up family, but you never know if there wasn't one person somewhere that was like this woman Lois or Eunice that loved God and prayed for their family. And the Lord told that person, said, I will remember a thousand generations of them that love me. But there's generational transfer. And God wants the generational blessings in your life to traffic down and affect your family and your descendants. You need to lay hold of that. You can see this. This faith was in your grandmother. It was in you. I mean, it was in your grandmother and mother. Now it's in you. It traveled down the family line. God's concerned about your household, those with you. He's concerned about your children. He's also concerned about your finances. These are different scriptures that I stand on for, the, for finances. All right, number one, tithers. God will rebuke the devourer, open the floodgates of heaven, pour out more, uh, pour out so many blessings there's not room enough to contain it, and cause nations to rise to call you blessed. I was raised this way, you know. My parents always tithe and taught us to tithe. And I, I taught Brianna about tithing growing up as well, not to put her on the spot. But as little as she got, remember, didn't we do the, the um, allowance? Yeah. <laughs> Even if the allowance was tiny, you know, like 10 bucks or something like that, dollars, gods, all right? Remember me. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> but anyway, she's a tither now. But here's the thing that I've seen over the years. Listen, everything we do, we've got to do with faith. When you pray for the sick, the Bible says you've got to pray with faith. When you drive out demons, you've got to do it with faith. Everything you do, you've got to believe, you've got to expect. But anyway, over the years, it's tithing, um, and there's other scriptures, but I've seen over and over God meet our needs. Now look at this. I will rebuke the devourer. I will open the heavens and pour out so much blessings there's not room enough to contain it. And Sandy and I have had to have times where we had to get rid of things like a garage sale because there just wasn't room enough to contain it. Amen? All right. And then another one is, look at these scriptures. This is powerful. God's concerned about people's finances because it affects you. It affects your kids. It affects also churches. Because as people are blessed, they can bless the church. So it affects the church. So God really is concerned about it. He's concerned also about us being able to financially help evangelists. Waiting for Brother Anthony to say amen. 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 All right. So, but he wants us to be able to be blessed financially so that we can help those that go out and take the gospel places seriously. And just like, for example, you see the Bay of the Holy Spirit revival. If God lays on your heart to give to it, do that. But they, places like that where God's moving, souls are being saved, man, it's not free. I don't know what people are thinking. It's like, are they thinking that, that Brother Kilpatrick and these guys showed up one day to this, where, whatever it is they're renting, you know. 
and like, hey, guys, we want to have church here. And the guys are like, oh, it's all expenses paid just for you, Brother Kilpatrick. You know, the electric company, oh, Pastor Kilpatrick, just for you. You know, the water company, it's like, give me a break. And so God wants God's people to help support what's going on, okay? So to do that, we've got to be blessed. But look at these scriptures. The Lord gives us the power to gain wealth. Amen. He gives us durable riches. Now look at this. Proverbs 8.18, durable riches. What does that mean? That means that it doesn't wear out. That means your laptop works longer than it should. That means that your tires on your car don't wear out as fast as the next guy's. He gives you durable riches. He makes you the head, not the tail, the top, and not the bottom. I could tell a lot of stories about that, but I've seen people connected to my ministry in life that God has really blessed you and raised you up to where you're the head and not the tail. We'll lend and not borrow, debt-free. God's interested in us getting out of debt, amen? And look at this scripture. This is straight out of the Bible, Proverbs 10, 22, and the blessing of the Lord makes rich and adds no sorrow to it. So the Lord will bless your life to where you have more than enough. You know, I believe it's not just the will of God. And I'm not taking up an offering. I'm not saying this for any weird, <laughs> weird reason, okay? I'm just telling you it's to strengthen your faith, okay? Um, but I believe it's God's blessing on our lives to where we can be a blessing to other people. Do you hear what I'm saying? It's really, it's really difficult when you just, when you're going, just pay. And I've been there. I'm speaking from experience, and I'm sure many of you know. I've been there when you're just barely getting along, paycheck, paycheck. It's hard, and you want to help other people, but it's hard. The Lord wants to help you break out of that and bring you to a place to where not only your needs are met, but you can bless others. He really does. He wants you to bless the poor. And I'm telling you, if you'll, if you'll do this, if you'll bless the poor financially and you'll, and you'll bless Israel, and you'll be a tither, I promise you God's hand will be on you. But you've got to do it in faith. All right. And a real quick story I've told already a lot, but I want this to get out there for people that maybe haven't heard it. But whenever the, the young people had to raise, what, $2,500 or $3,000 or something for camp last year, we didn't have it at all. And it was, it was suddenly, and it was like we had to come up within a couple months. I think it was like two months. And so we're in a situation where we're just like, okay, we need a miracle. All of a sudden, I'm praying about it, and the Lord tells me, so I want you to take 250 of their dollars and give it towards blessing Israel, which is also blessing the poor because we do it through a certain ministry. And I'm sitting there going, Lord, we're trying to raise money, and you're telling me to give $250. But you know what? I obeyed the Lord and did it. I did it with faith. And you know, everything from that point, every fundraiser, everything we did was so blessed. And I've got a lot of people that are witnesses to this. It was so blessed. We went in thinking, well, we'll raise a couple hundred dollars and end up being like four or five hundred dollars. Well, everything that we did, it was so blessed that we ended up not only raising the money, but raising more than enough. And, and it was, God really blessed it. I mean, it was amazing. All right. But see, here's the thing. Many people wrestle against things in their life that's coming against their health, coming against their finances, coming against their relationships. It could be a generational curse. It could be that the enemy is just attacking you and trying to resist you. But how many relationships have been ruined by the devil? Stirring up strife, stirring up stuff, ruining relationships, 
attacking people's finances. You know, listen, if I, you think about it, the devil's strategy. If he can keep people beat down in their health, it's hard to do stuff for God. If he can pe- keep people beat down financially, it's hard. If he can keep relationships in constant turmoil, it's hard to really rise up and be effective for God. You hear what I'm saying? All right. God's promises for revival, and I'm going to get off this. I want you to see, this is the second thing I want you to see. I want you to see the blessing of the Lord and his heart for your life. But you've got to get away from whatever religious spirit it is that tells you that God wants you defeated, that God wants you sick, that God wants you poor, that God wants you this, that God wants your relationships jacked up, that he wants you struggling at work. That's not God. That really is a lie from the enemy. But people, you'd be surprised how many people believe that. And you preach this way and it makes them mad. And you're going, why in the world would you not want to believe that God's a good God? It says it in the scriptures. I mean, we can prove it here. All right. God's promise for revival. I love this scripture. It's one of these bittersweet things with me. But you remember when Peter said that a thousand years is as a day to God? That is so real. Because you're sitting there going, man, Lord, why is it taking so long? And God acts like it was just yesterday. But a thousand years is as a day. Think about that one. All right. So whenever, now, now put that in context of what I'm about to read. Peter said this, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand slowness. We understand slowness, but our slowness is not the slowness of God, okay? He said, the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you. He's not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. So just being honest and from my heart, just saying, Lord, why rock bottom? Why here? And you know what the Lord says? Scott, I'm not slow in keeping my promise of revival. As some, as you understand slowness. But I'm patient with you. Not wanting anyone in this area to perish. But all to come to repentance. And so the Lord, we got to understand the ways of the Lord. And listen to this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, Then I will hear from heaven and forgive their sin and heal their land. And look at this. And again, I tell you, Matthew 18, 19, Jesus said, if two of you agree on earth about anything you ask, it will be done for you by my Father in heaven. The Lord is not delaying. He's not slow. He hasn't forgotten. There's just a timetable with God that's beyond our human understanding. Let me tell you about this real quick about revival because God is deeply concerned. And what he spoke, we had a message in tongues interpretation one night. It was real long. Went back and recorded it, documented it. It was really powerful. But the Lord spoke about a lot of things he's going to do in this area. And he's going to send revival here. There's no doubt about it. But one of the greatest moves of God that broke out in the 80s through Carlos Anacondia, there were other people involved like Claudio Freitzen. All of Argentina was shaken by the power of God. The people being born again, the spiritual birth rate was faster than the natural birth rate. When Carlos and his team was going into a city 
whole cities, whole regions were coming to Christ. If you think about that. That whole nation was affected by the power of God and it spread, the powers of revival spread beyond that. For example, one example, Steve Hill's ministry came out of that to the Pensacola revival. Now, what people got to understand is that hit in the 80s, but back in the 50s, I think actually before that, there was a man there by the name of Edward Miller who was a missionary, and he had a Bible school, and he had a handful of Bible students, I mean, maybe like 15 people, and they, they were gripped like some of you have been experiencing lately. They were gripped with such a burden for Argentina that they were hit for like three days or five days straight. I, I remember reading this whole thing. I, I don't know if my details are exact. But for like three to five days straight, they didn't eat or sleep. They just sat there and wept for Argentina. One person had a puddle of tears where they wept for like, I'm talking not hours, days. And they were gripped with a burden. See, we see the 1980s thing, but, but this is where it all started. But see, God's not slow. He heard their prayers. It made a difference. Right after that, in the 50s, a man by the name of Tommy Hicks went to Argentina, which Argent, the Argentine landscape of that time spiritually was just Catholic. He went there, and he said, God has sent me here to preach the gospel. And he said, I need to rent some kind of a coliseum or something. And he went to see the president about this, the president, Perot, and they had the, like we had the White House, it was pink and they, anyway, but he went there. And listen to what happened. They were like, no, the president's not going to see you. I'm sure they were thinking, what are you thinking? And, but the president was sick. He had a skin disease. And Tommy Hicks said, if you'll let me see him, I'll pray for him about his skin, and God will heal him. God healed the president. The president then told Tommy, you know what? What do you want? He said, I want to preach the gospel, and I want to preach it in a big coliseum. That was the seedbed of revival. There were so many people that came there. You can read about it, but it was, a, it was a major move of God in the 50s. So you had Edward Miller and them interceding. Then you had the Tommy Hicks thing. And then later, the revival started breaking out. But God, it was all in his timing. I don't know why I'm on this, but there was a heritage here in Rockwall. In the 50s, Kenneth Hagin had a major move of God here. I don't know if y'all knew that. But he was actually, this is a true story, just like the Apostle Paul was, he was taken up and shown things in Rockwall, in heaven, and he was shown things about the end-time revival and about winning souls. Later on, a few decades later, Larry Lee's ministry was here, which was a major move of God in this nation, especially with prayer. And Satan has really attacked this region. And I've wanted to move out of this region just because of the Bless their hearts, I love them. But just the complacency, the lukewarmness, and, and the, the apathy and different things, I'm like, man, Lord, send me to the ghetto where people are desperate and hungry. Let's see revival. You know, and I wasn't joking, but the Lord told me, he said, stay put, I'm sending revival. And here's what he told me. He said, because other people prayed earnestly, I heard their prayers, and you're not leaving, because I'm sending revival here. That's what he told me. Mark it down. I know right now some people are like, oh, okay, but, yeah. After revival hits, people are going to be like, wow, Pastor Scott was right. <laughs> All right, but he will send revival. There's a harvest of souls coming. God is not slow 
He's just patient. He's got a timetable. And you know, there's been a lot of prophecies about a, a harvest coming. You know, I met I met with Steve Hill. I just feel to share this with y'all to strengthen your faith or something. I don't know. I can't get off it. But I met with Steve Hill when he prayed over me. It was just the two of us. And he prayed over me. He was talking to me about different things. And I fell out in his office. And here I am, you know. And he said, he said, God is going to give you a harvest of souls. But he said, you're going to be responsible for the harvest. So I've been working my tail off since that day to figure out how I was going to take care of that harvest of souls. See, let me tell you. I, you know, we just watched that movie. She wanted to see Facing the Giants. I've seen it more than once. So I'm sitting there going, okay, you know. But, man, it spoke to me again because whenever that guy came in there, what did he say? He said, whenever God speaks to somebody, you've got to prepare your field for the rain. And he said, if there's two farmers and God spoke to both of them, it was going to rain, but only one of them went and prepared their field. Who had faith? It was the one that prepared the field. So I've been here working my tail off trying to prepare people that could help with this harvest that's coming and help with the revival. I'm preparing the harvest, preparing for the harvest because it's coming, and when it comes, we're going to have people ready to facilitate the discipleship. Okay? All right. This is the third thing I want to get to and move pretty quick through this. We are in a major end-time battle. The sons of Issachar, God was pleased with them because it says that they discerned the times. But Jesus rebuked the people of his day. He wept. He said, I want to gather you, Israel, under my wings like a hen gathers a chick. But you have not discerned the times and seasons of the Lord in his visitation. What you've got to understand is the times and seasons of the Lord. And we are in the end time. Now, with that said, you need to study the book of Daniel and Revelation understand about the end times, okay? But there is a major battle going on, and we're going to face things in our generation that other generations did not face. But where sin abounds, grace much more abounds. God's going to give us a great anointing. He's going to put his fire on us. He's going to put his glory on us. He's going to empower us. And not only are we going to just survive this thing, we're going to do well. We're going to see a harvest of souls, and we're going to see revival, whether the devil likes it or not. But there is a major end-time battle, Revelation 12, 12. Woe to the earth and the sea, because the devil has gone down to you. He's filled with fury because he knows his time is short. You know, principalities and powers, things that have been residing, I believe there's going to be an onslaught come down on the earth, an onslaught trying to stop the move of God. And I'm trying to give you two keys tonight that you maybe have never heard of, but I'm going to give you two major keys in, in warfare that will help you tremendously. The first one is start addressing the thief and command him to restore back sevenfold. Did everybody get that? Don't put up with it anymore. With me, it's the principle of the thing. It may not be a Jesus characteristic. But if somebody like a company or something takes $5 from me, most people would write it off. It ticks me off. It will be the, if they say you owe me $5 and I don't owe them $5, they'll never see that $5. It just irritates me. You hear what I'm saying? When somebody's trying to steal, somebody's trying to be a thief and rip you off, it just irritates me. 
I probably get that from my dad. But anyway, I won't go there. But, but it needs to irritate you that the enemy is trying to steal from you things. Just like, for example, like Brother Anthony, you know, there may be things sometimes that the enemy attacks your ministry and tries to steal, whether it's finances or doors that should open, but somebody used to the devil. You know what I'm saying? It's trying to come in and hinder. Look, we need to bind the enemy and say, you're, you're not going to steal, and you're going to restore back what you've stolen sevenfold. Yeah. Start addressing the thief. That's key number one. All right. Real quick, let me read down through this. The second key, I know people are going to write this down. It's the court of final appeal. All right, I'm going to get to that. The court of final appeal. Two major battle um, weapons in this end time warfare. All right, I'll get back to number two on here, the major end time battle. All right, the second thing is Revelation 13, 7. It says that Satan, he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That's the end time battle right there. But see, people have got to read the whole Bible and understand that that's not the end of the story, that there's also Daniel 7.21, which I'm going to read here in a minute, okay? But before I get to that, look at this. Here's some quick things. When you're in this major end time battle, the Bible says when you're doing all to stand, stand firm and put on the full armor. But John, I want you to think about the Ephesian church. Paul wrote the epistles to the, the epistle to the Ephesians. He wrote that to the Ephesian church. But the Ephesian church was a revival church. Remember, it was Acts chapter 19 where revival had broke out in Ephesus. The whole province heard the word. All the witches were getting saved. There was a riot. I mean, those when God shows up, there's going to be a riot of some kind. But anyway, there was a riot. And, and all these people were getting healed and delivered and hit by the power of God. And that's where that church started was in the fires of revival. So whenever you read anything about the Ephesian church, you need to remember it was a revival church. Okay? Now, when you're doing all to stand, why did Paul talk about this to the Ephesians? Because he knew if you're going to see a move of God, you're going to face revival. I mean, you're going to face, I'm sorry, you're going to face satanic attack. When you're going to see revival, you're going to face opposition. You're going to face satanic attack. So, Brother Anthony knows this too because he goes to a lot of different places. But man, not everybody is in the flow of the move of God. And whenever you're going after God and you're going to see souls saved, you're going to see revival, you're going to face a lot of warfare resistance. Okay? Number two, sometimes you reach a point where only God can come through and these are the places of the greatest miracles. When you've done all to stand, and you've done everything you know to do, you've prayed and fasted, you've, you've done it all, you've, you've blessed the thing, you've fasted over the thing, you got other people to pray, you did everything you know to do, and it doesn't seem to be budging. Those are the places that God will come through with some of the greatest miracles. King Hezekiah, I'm going to say this real fast, was in a desperate situation. The Assyrian king, God had already prophesied, I'm going to wipe out, I'm going to take, not wipe out completely, but I'm going to take Israel and Judah. They're going to go into captivity because they sinned. Hezekiah knew all these other nations were falling by the sword before Assyria and Israel did. 
because God permitted it. So put yourself in Hezekiah's shoes. Real fast, in case you didn't know, after Solomon, the nation of Israel split. Judah was the bottom. Israel was the northern. It was two different things with two different kings, okay? But God said, you're going to go into captivity. And Hezekiah was the king of Judah, the descendants of David, the king of Judah, this small tribe here. And he saw the Assyrian king take Israel captive. Now, how many knows that that would affect you? Because the nation of Israel was bigger than him. And so the king of Assyria comes and starts threatening him and, and says a lot of horrible things to him. But he said, basically, look, your God did not stop me from taking Israel. The gods of the other nations didn't stop me from taking them. Now, Hezekiah was a righteous king. And Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, was his friend and was alive during that day. And Hezekiah told Isaiah, Hezekiah was a descendant of David. He told Isaiah, he said, please pray, because this is serious. This king's wanting to come in and slaughter us and, and take Jerusalem. Isaiah said, he's mocking God, and God's going to defend him. And the Bible says that an angel of God was dispatched that night and, and slaughtered like 185,000 of their warriors one angel, and then he was summoned back. When he got there, he was assassinated. War was over. So here's the thing. God put Hezekiah in a situation where he was seriously worried about this, and he, was, he knew their, all their lives were in danger. There was nothing he could do about it in the natural. There was nothing. He had done everything he knew to do, and he was on his face just humbling himself and praying, and God came through. All right, remember that because there's going to be times where God will allow you to get in a situation where you pray, you fast, you bless, you do everything, you confess the word, you got other people praying, you do everything that you know to do. It's not budging, and then you're just going to have to fall on God, and then God will come through with some kind of miracle where he gets all the glory. For example, remember the story of Delia Knox in the Bay of the Holy Spirit Revival got healed? <coughs> she was a pastor's wife and was driving home around Christmas time, and a drunk driver hit her. And she was paralyzed. Her spinal cord severed, paralyzed. Now, who's the thief? The devil. God didn't paralyze the lady. God didn't tell the guy to drink. God didn't tell the guy after he was drunk to drive. Okay? She didn't blame God for it. She knew the devil did it. But anyway, this was something that was there for several years, that she was crippled like that. And it was something well known. But how many knows that whenever it's God's time, man, you know, she was at the Bay of the Holy Spirit Revival and was totally healed. Got out of that chair. But she had come to a place where she had prayed, fasted, done everything you know to do, and just fell on the mercy of God, and God showed up. You see what I'm saying? But he does things like that to get all the glory. That woman had had a couple years there and had been around a lot of people, been on TV, so everybody knew that she was crippled legitimately. And so when she was healed, it was a big deal. All right. But here's the second thing. The first thing was to deal with the thief. The second thing is the court of final appeal. I remember I read to you in Revelation 13, 7, that the enemy was given power to make war against the saints and conquer. He was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. But look at this, Daniel 7, 21. As I watched this horn, which in the vision represented the devil or the Antichrist, this horn was waging war against the holy people and defeating them until 
Everybody say until. Until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment in favor of the holy people of the Most High, and the time came when they possessed the kingdom. Now, I said all that to kind of close down with this right here. The enemy in these end times is going to be raging. There's major warfare. There's going to be times when you've done everything you know to do. You've done everything right, but you feel like there's this brick wall of some kind. When you're in a situation like that, I'm about to give you a really powerful weapon of war right here. It says here, until the Ancient of Days came and pronounced judgment on your behalf, in favor of you. Number one, you deal with the thief. You command him, restore back sevenfold, bind him, get rid of him, all that. But number two, when your back's up against the wall and you've done everything you know to do, if you'll get on your face before the Most High and you get him to render judgment on your behalf, are you hearing what I'm saying? If the Ancient of Days ever hears you plead your cause in his courtroom, ever hears you give your case to him, and you take the devil to court and say, Father, I've done everything I'm supposed to do, this devil over here will not stop. And then the Lord, when the Ancient of Days renders judgment on your behalf, who's going to stop him? Once that decree is made and it's set in motion, there's not a, a demon, there's not a devil, there's not a principality, there's nothing that's going to be able to stop that. It's going to be a freight train that comes driving into your area and it's going to blast the enemy out and you're going to be free from whatever it is. So here's, here's what I want to close with. I want to give you these two things because God's the God of breakthrough. But in these end times we're living, not everything is going to be quick and easy breakthroughs here. You've got to understand that. Not everything is going to be as quick and easy as we want it to be. There's going to be times where you've done everything you know to do and you feel like you're running up against the brick wall and what it is is that the enemy just simply does not want to back off. And you're going to have to go to the Ancient of Days. You've got to understand God, the Father, and the Lord Jesus, they are not ju just your salvation, but they are also a righteous judge for you. See, the way I see it is God the Father is like the judge and Jesus is your lawyer. And Satan is the accuser. He's the prosecutor. But when you go before the Father, you say, I've done everything I know to do. I've forgiven everybody. I don't have, you know, I, I've repented of my sin. He won't stop. I mean, I've done everything. I, and you put it before him. And then the devil may throw a few accusations, but then God slams down the gavel and the Ancient of Days renders judgment on your behalf, every demon will flee from that point right there. If one of God's angels can kill like 185,000 men by himself, okay, if God releases angels on your behalf, what do you think is going to happen? There comes a point in time when it's the fullness of time, and it's time for a breakthrough. Let me tell you this too, and I'm closing with these things. I'm going to read through them real fast. God is interested in the restoration of all things. Look at this, Joel 2.25. I will repay, I will restore to you the years the locusts have eaten. What do you think about that? Think about all the things that the locusts have eaten in your life. 
Have they eaten up your family? Have they eaten up your finances? Have they attacked your health? What is it? I don't know. But everything the locusts have eaten, God says, I will restore what the locusts have eaten. There comes a point in time whenever the Ancient of Days is about to act on your behalf, but you've got to go before him. And I'm going to show you how to do that. When you approach God, there's a few things you need to know. Number one, you have got to forgive everybody and make sure that you have. Matthew 6, 14, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But it also says in the Bible that if you don't, he won't. You've got to forgive everybody. Make sure you forgive everybody. Number two, make sure there's no sin in your life, that you get everything under the blood. You repent and you get serious with God. Now, I just want to say this real quick because I don't know as far as this is going to go, you know, with it being recorded. But there's nothing worth going to hell over. There's so many people out there that they live for the stupidest things. They, they're offended at somebody, and they just won't let it go. It's not worth going to hell over. It's not. they got to have that beer. They've got to have that joint. They have got to have that mistress or that relationship they're not supposed to have. They've got to have it, and they won't give it up. Let me t- Is it really, truly worth going to hell over? Really? Is that adulterous affair really, truly worth going to hell over? It's time that we get serious with God. Because if we'll go before God and we'll get the sin out of our lives, we'll get answers. But if you go before God and you've got sin all in your life and you're not repenting, the accuser is just going to accuse you and nothing's going to happen to you. If you want to live with God's blessing, you've got to be willing to turn from everything else and be 100% for him. Christianity is a radical thing. It's 100% or nothing at all. It really is. It's not what a lot of American preachers make it to be. It's not this thing where, you know, God just wants you to be happy all the time and you you live in some little joy bubble and it's just, uh, you know, everything's just always so great. It's not like that. You get saved, you go through warfare, you go through persecution. There's people that don't like you for no reason. But it's worth it to have him. The next thing is, number one, forgive everybody. Number two, get the sin out of your life. Make sure that you're, you're right. Number three, humble yourself before God. Don't ever go to God pridefully. You're not going to get far. Even an earthly judge will throw people out of the courtroom. Amen. All right, number four, make sure that you're going through the blood of Jesus and not your own righteousness. Don't ever come to God like God owes you something. Or like, you know, some people come to church like they're doing God a favor by coming. There's people like that. And I'm sitting there thinking, how arrogant can you be and still breathe? (laughs) Or as Rodney would say, how stupid can you be and still breathe? I mean, you're not doing God a favor by coming to church. He did you a favor by dying on the cross. We don't deserve anything from him. All right. The blood of Jesus come through the blood of Jesus. And the last thing is this. Have clean hands before God. Look at Psalm 24, verse 3. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? This is going into God's presence. Who will stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not trust in idols or swear by what's false, they will receive the blessing from the Lord 
and vindication from their God, their Savior. Vindication. You see, God loves people so much, you know, and he wants to be with us. He wants us, but he wants us to be 100%. When Jesus came, Jesus gave 100% for us, and he wants us to give him 100%. Amen? But here's the thing. We want vindication. Let me give you a few quick words I looked up. Number one, to vindicate means to clear you from any accusation. We want to go before God's throne and be cleared from all the accusation. Whether it be the devil accusing you or whether it's people, like slander and stuff, we want to be vindicated. Number two, we want justice. The principle of God being fair on our behalf. Number three, we want retribution. The, and that means repayment. We want to be repaid for all the damage the enemy's done. You know, even an earthly judge will order that, that you make restitution, repayment for what you've done. And I believe with all my heart that we're at a place and time of breakthrough in this ministry. I feel it. But just like the Lord said earlier through that message in tongues, he said it's going to start first with you as an individual, but then secondly, it's going to break through in this area. All right. But here's the last thing right here, Galatians 3.13. We are redeemed from the curse of the law and given the blessings given to Abraham. The curses under the law are these, humiliation, barrenness, unfruitfulness, mental or physical breakdown, family breakdown. Mental breakdown has to do with mental, emotional, psychological problems, okay? Physical breakdown is health problems. Family breakdown is relationship problems. Poverty, famine, defeat, oppression, failure, and God's disfavor. That is the curses under the law. But as a Christian, we should not still be living under those. The blessings that were given to Abraham, that's our inheritance. And this is what they are. Exaltation, health, reproductiveness, prosperity, abundance, God's favor, and victory over our enemies. That's what we should be living under. But here's what I want to do as I close right here. I want to talk to you for a moment about forgiving other people and forgiving yourself. As I mentioned earlier, I just feel this. You know, when Gideon took his men into battle, there wasn't that many. And I really feel just right now even the Lord saying that he needs just a, a remnant of people that will go after him with all their, all their heart. When Jesus was here, he only had 12 that he discipled. But they turned the world upside down during their day. Man, I just felt that. that God isn't looking for just like a little, um, a lot of lip service. If he can find a group of people that will really sell out, he can really do something. But number one, to go tonight, what I felt was we've got to forgive all the other people, we need to release any resentment we've had toward God because a lot of times people blame God for things. And sometimes even blame other people for things that were beyond their control. Like, well, why didn't you do this? Why didn't you stop this? Why you? And, then, and the person's going, man, I wasn't even there. You know, why are you blaming me for that? But we've got to let all that go. Any resentment, anything we've had toward God, toward other people, and hear me yourself did you know you can have unforgiveness toward yourself 
and it can really be a door for the enemy to really, really do some damage in you. You have got to forgive yourself of things that you've done that you regret. Everybody's got some things they regret. You feel like you've let yourself down. You feel like that that there's things that you could have done better, you wish you could go back in time, but you can't. And deep down, it's like you hate yourself for it. And you know what it is? Is that you, you've literally put yourself in bondage to unforgiveness towards yourself. And seriously, that really is real, and it's a real bondage. And it can really open the door for the enemy and some evil spirits in your life. You don't want that. Because any time there's that type of a bitterness or a self-hatred, uh, you know what I'm saying here. You know, there's depression and, and the, the suicide and the, the discouragement, all this stuff that's in people because they, they've hated themselves and they've, they've hated their past and they, they have all these, all these regrets that they need to let go of. And after we deal with forgiveness, I want you to consider going before God's throne and take to him, go through all these notes. I gave you a lot of notes. If you've prayed about generational curses, it should be done. If it's not done, if you still see something in your life, you need to go before the throne room about that. Because that's the enemy trying to, to, to remain where he should not remain. If you've prayed about stuff, if you've commanded the thief to back off and restore, if you've commanded these things and you're not seeing it budge, you need to go before the courtroom about some things. Some of you, it may be financial, it may be relational, it may be your ministry, it could be your health, it could be relationships that the devil has stolen. That you want vindication at God's throne room and you want, you want to be repaid for the damage done. And I encourage you to go before the courtroom and let the Ancient of Days pass judgment on your behalf and give you victory. There's a lot of notes here I gave to you so that you could go back over this in your own personal prayer time. And read over the promises, the promises for health, deliverance, household, children, finances revival and all the different things that should be yours but the enemy has been resisting that I want you to go back over this stuff and take it before God's throne that's the last page it's just an example but you can certainly go beyond that example and make your own list how many of you guys can honestly say you feel like that the enemy has stolen some things in your life then I, I really feel like it's time to go before the throne room and get a breakthrough. And I'm going to tell you prophetically, I know tonight is a night of breakthrough. I know it is. And God's been speaking to me breakthrough. That's why I did the sermon. But I want you to pray about this right now. Let's forgive every person we need to forgive, including ourselves. Now, be honest. Do some of you have unforgiveness toward yourself? There was a time that I did. There's, you know, I hated some stuff, some mistakes in my past, and I, I hated myself for it. But there's things, there's some regrets, there's some things that you wish you could take back, and you you kind of have unforgiveness toward yourself, like you let yourself down, and you don't think highly of yourself. I want you tonight, I want you to release that. I want you to think about the things 
that you need to forgive yourself of and let it go. And understand that God knows you're human, and as a human being, as a simple human, there's things that all of us have done that we need forgiveness for. And let's let it go tonight. Forgive yourself, forgive people, and anything you've had against God, let it go. Because God loves you. He's the best friend you ever had, and he didn't do it. The devil did. Let's just pray about that right now. put on some worship if you want to find a place where you can pray for a few minutes if you want to go somewhere and pray for a few minutes this is something between you and the Lord but don't take it home tonight leave it here leave forgive yourself forgive people and get it all dealt with